diets. The risk is higher for some than for others, but all of us have been forced to confront our own death. Of course, there's other matters associated with the pandemic and with the protests. You can make your own lists, an enduring legacy of racism, an inept healthcare system, inept healthcare system, politicians who show little skill for anything other than getting elected, but at root, all of it reflects a fear of death. Our society has rejected God. Despite how someone might answer a religion poll, most Americans are functional atheists. And that means that life ends at death, and death comes when our bodies stop functioning. That's the one thing we can't solve. And that's our greatest fear. If you eliminate faith in an all-powerful good God, science, society, health care, the best universities, no one's got an answer for death. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He didn't give us better science or better technology or better organization so that we could live forever. Instead, he became one of us. He was born to a peasant couple. He grew up in a village. He learned carpentry from his dad. He ate, slept, dealt with younger siblings. He hammered his thumb and felt the pain. He went through puberty. In verse 1, John wants to make this abundantly clear. He took on a body that could die. Underneath all your fears lurks the fear of death. You want to live and you don't want to die. And the way of escape from these fears is the God-man who took on a human body. He lived a life vulnerable to death, just like you and I do. And then he died. Number two, verse two, his person is his message. His person is his message. The end of verse 1 identifies Jesus as the word of life. This life in this word, John writes, was made manifest. Let's read the end of verse 1 and verse 2. The end of verse 1, he's, write, he's writing concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The word of life. The language here is surprising. How do you see the word. Don't you hear words? And since this connects with verse 1, how do you touch the word with your hands? Who talks about touching words? And this is the fascinating thing about Jesus. We are used to words pointing us 
to reality in a history book or a work of philosophy or a how-to book. But this word is reality. This word doesn't lead us to life. This word is life itself. Now, most of you probably already know the Greek term used here is word. It's logos or logos. In the Greek of the first century, logos could be translated word or message or reason. But the way John uses it utterly transforms our understanding of who Jesus is. The person of Jesus is the word. In this person, we find life. In this person, we learn how to live. In this person is truth. This word is not a rational explanation of how to live in this world. It's not a thing to chant to bring someone into a heightened experience of God. This word is Jesus Christ. We find life in his person. Yes, he spoke words that explain reality to us and teach us how to think and to live. But all this begins with the person of Jesus, the eternal God, who was from the beginning, became a man and became the word of God to us. John saw him, heard his voice, touched him. Jesus doesn't just point to life. He is life. He doesn't just show the way. He is the way. He doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. It comes back to him. The living, present son of God who had a body just like we do. Right now we're being flooded with words that are telling us how dangerous the world is with its diseases. We're having words and images and calls for racial justice that fill our screens. But you know what's missing in all the dialogue? What's missing in all of it is the word who is God. Jesus Christ has been cut out of the conversation. He is the word on health and disease. He is the word on justice. He lived as a man in this world and he died for this world in all of its vice and squalor. And in his resurrection, he overcame it all. Though no one in our public spaces may be speaking about him, he is king and he rules. And if we will humble ourselves before him and put our trust in him, he'll show us how to live in our bodies in this world and how to die. So his person is his message. We don't follow a nice set of doctrines, a nice set of rules, lessons in how to find peace and prosperity. We follow the risen son of God who became a man and lived a life just like we do. Number three, fellowship with Jesus makes fellowship with God the Father and fellowship with each other possible. Read verse 3 again with me. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, 
so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When America rejected Jesus, a massive fragmentation began in our society. And with the pandemic, it became even more extreme. Our governors mandated isolation and told us that human fellowship didn't require bodies. It was just as good on screens. Our society can identify injustice inconsistently, but often accurately, but it has no way to restore justice other than punishment or public shaming. It has no plan for reconciliation. But this man, Jesus, he brings us to God and to perfect justice. It's easy to look at the photo of a brutal cop and think you're better than that. You probably are. But against God's standard of justice, you too are alienated from God and from other people, and you too are up for the death penalty, not in this life, but in eternity. Right now, loud voices in our society are defining America as falling into two camps. There are the righteous progressives who love the downtrodden, and in the other camp, there are those they identify as oppressors. That's what's gotten the public attention right now. That's the primary message that we are hearing. That's not how God divides humanity. You want to know how God divides humanity? On one side is every human being descended from Adam. All of us are oppressors. All of us suppress God's holy word and his holy ways. All of us, after a just trial in God's court of heaven, deserve death. On the other hand, side of this line that divides all of humanity stands the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's not a son of Adam, but the son of God born into this world by a virgin named Mary. You cannot become righteous by being progressive or conservative. Neither program results in justice. Neither will keep you from death. Neither can reconcile you with God or with other people. But if you're joined to Jesus... You become identified with him, and you take on his righteousness. So you say, how do I get to the other side of the line? This dividing line between all of humanity and Jesus Christ. You identify with him. You put your faith in him. You submit to him and his righteous rule, and therefore, you are no longer counted as a son of Adam, but as someone joined to the son of God. And the result of that, is that you can have fellowship with God. You can know God. You can interact with God, trust God, hear God, speak to God without any fear of rejection. You can be reconciled to God. 
And then there's the secondary effect of being joined to Jesus. Every other person who is joined to him is joined, joined to the rest of us who are joined to him. And that means that our fellowship is with one another. So not only does God reconcile us to himself in his son, but he reconciles us to one another. Jesus is not a divider. He's a uniter. But the unity is not on my terms. It's not a negotiated peace with him. The unity comes when we put our faith in him and submit to him. To be united to him, we must follow him in his death. We must die to our own sovereignty. Die to self-rule. Submit to his rule. And in this we're joined to his death for us. We die with him. We rise with him. And suddenly we are no longer alienated from God or from one another. This is the heart of our fellowship with him and our fellowship with each other. So please now take your cups with the bread and the juice. In 1 Corinthians 10:16, Paul makes this amazing claim. Listen to these words because they connect to our text today. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Participation in the body and blood of Christ. That word participation is in our text in 1 John today. 1 John 3, 1, 3, it's translated fellowship. We have fellowship with God and with one another as we participate in this meal. We participate together in the death of Christ for us. This is way more than just tactile memory going on here. This is a spiritual participation in the death of Jesus Christ. This is identifying ourselves and participating with him in his death. This is the highlight of our worship because in this meal, we together personally enter into the participation of Jesus Christ with us. This is our answer to coronavirus. This is our answer to every injustice that pervades our society. So take the bread and pray with me. Father in heaven, we take this bread at your invitation to participate in the breaking of Jesus' body to pay for our sins. We believe that his body was broken for us so that we could live forever reconciled in him. Let's eat the bread.
Now take the cup Pray with me. Father in heaven, we drink from this cup just as Jesus Christ, in dying on the cross, drank the cup of God's wrath for us so that we could be made holy in your sight. His death for ours, his life to give us life, we drink in faith with great gratitude. Let's drink together. Amen. Father, we thank you that though we live in an age of great confusion, we have Jesus. We have eternal life. We have fellowship with you and with one another. Thank you for this, we pray through Jesus. Amen.